welcoming you here today for our third episode of our podcast. Um, Just to remind you, we come to you from a business called Milestones and Miracles. We are moms, first of all, and we are, um, I'm a physical therapist, Lacey is a speech therapist, and we made this podcast to bring you um, members from our village that help us every day on our therapy path and our parenting path. Um, to bring forward to our audience of therapists and parents. And today we're really excited to share an exciting guest with you. Hi everyone, it's Lacey, and I am here to introduce Taryn Morton-Fetty. Hello! (laughs) So Taryn is an occupational therapist. She um, owns a private um, therapy practice, and she is a sensory expert. And we are beyond elated to be able to share with you Taryn's knowledge of everything sensory processing, and hopefully you will take away something from this podcast that can help you, your child, or a child you know. So Taryn, let's start at the very beginning. You know, we hear in the media, we hear families talk about their child has sensory issues, their child has been diagnosed with sensory processing disorder, and that just in itself sounds overwhelming. So let's back up. Can you just explain to us exactly what our sensory system is and how it works within our bodies? Um, I think the biggest issue now is it's becoming a trendy thing to say I have sensory issues. So Mm -hmm. it's getting exaggerated just like um, ADHD got exaggerated. And, you know, if you keep too clean of a house, you have OCD and that sort of thing. So I tend to think of sensory processing disorders as being those people who cannot get through a typical day um, without a meltdown due to their response to sensory input. Right. But we all have, so I sometimes I'll say to mm-hmm. people, we all have sensory processing. We might not all have sensory processing disorder, but we wouldn't right. be functioning if we didn't have sensory processing, correct? And, yeah, absolutely. And we probably all have sensory issues. It's just spectrum, just like everything else. So, right. It's if, the, if, if your sensory processing interferes with daily living, like you yes. said earlier. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what what is the, for, for those people who are listening who aren't therapists, what is our sensory system? How does our sensory system work in everyday life, in a, fun, in a functioning person that it doesn't interfere with things? Well, when we, when we treat people with these issues, I always say that you can't address one sensory system at a time. You have mm-hmm. to address all of them. Mm-hmm. And... The way I start by describing it to parents is that, you know, we're taught that we have five senses and we have eight. And the ones that... (laughs) I'm getting an education today, too. Eight? All right, right. So the ones... They forget vestibular. They forget vestibular. They forget proprioceptive. And now there's this um, new one creeping in there called um, the interoceptive sense. So those three tend to be very heavily impacted in, in kids with these sensory issues. So um, with that vestibular sense, um, it's the first one to develop in utero. It's the most primitive. So all of the other sensory systems feed off of it. So you can't address the other systems. You can't address a visual issue without looking at the vestibular system because the visual system gets so much of its information from the vestibular system. And the vestibular system is has to do with balance, correct? Yes. So when, when most of us think of it, that's the first word that comes to mind, but its job is to respond to changes in head position and, and respond to changes in, in gravity. Um, okay. It also has a huge role in core strength and postural endurance, the ability to keep yourself upright, um, and it has a huge role in attention. So a lot oh. of our kiddos that are diagnosed with ADHD... Um, actually have sensory processing disorder. It goes hand in hand. Mm -hmm. What about the other two big systems that you said are commonly left out? Can you tell us a little bit about those? Um, Proprioception is a a huge one. It um, tells you where, that sense tells you where your body is in space without looking at your body. And it's the sense that allows you to gauge force. So in those kids that 
can't be gentle. They can't pet an animal Mm -hmm. um, without slapping it upside the head. They can't Mm -hmm. um, softly close a door. They're slamming the car door every time. Is this the kid that when they sit on the floor, they have to be leaning against somebody to kind of be aware of where their body is in space? They don't. They don't know where their body's edge is, so Mm -hmm. they're seeking out somebody else's edge. They're leaning against Mm. mom all the time, or they're leaning against the wall. I like that description. They don't know Um, where their body's edge is. I need to remember. Yeah, yeah. And some of them have described themselves later on as almost feeling kind of floaty, like that Mm -hmm. ghost Mm -hmm. kind of effect. Um, So they crave crashing into things and slamming themselves down the floor to feel grounded and get more of that same kind of input. I sometimes, and I'm not an occupational therapist, obviously I'm a physical therapist, so sometimes I joke like I'm kind of a little out of my lane, but when I'm describing (laughs) giving proprioceptive input to a child who's having trouble with balance or a sense of their body when they're walking, sometimes I describe it to my parents as, imagine they're a jellyfish. And mm-hmm. they're light and floaty, and they have all these tentacles, and they don't know where they are. And right. if we put a little bit of weight on their ankles, it's like, oh, those yeah. are my legs. Mm-hmm. This is how I use them. Yes. They need extra of that same yes. kind of input. They need extra. Okay, and what was that third one? The third one is the interoceptive sense, and mm-hmm. that's um, what allows you to sense what's going on internally, so those physiological type of processes. Mm. So when you're hungry or when you're mm. thirsty or when you need to use the bathroom. Um, a, lot of, a lot of parents come to me and say, he never tells me he's hungry. Mm-hmm. You know, if I didn't feed him, I don't think he would ever seek out food on his own. And then there's the parents that say, he never gets full. Uh-huh. Right, so just right. the ability to read those internal rhythms, like knowing when you have a fever, you know. Those. That's important. Yeah. I never have thirst. I think I have a problem with this. <laughs> I am never thirsty. I know. I don't know. I'm de- yeah, that's that's interesting. I'm never thirsty till it's too late. And then yeah, I'm- until my hands are swollen. I'm yeah. like, oh, I'm dehydrated. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. So can you tell our audience a little about um, what diagnoses are commonly associated with actual sensory processing disorder? So sensory processing disorder, as it stands right now, is not an official diagnosis that stands alone in the DSM. Okay. So there's a huge push for more research so that it can stand alone. Um, And the DSM, explain just for people who aren't there. That's the big giant Bible of (laughs) um, diagnoses that psychiatrists and um, doctors use to diagnose mm-hmm. and that are recognized so, by insurance companies yes, too yeah they're the ones that get the codes okay um, so basically um i know that it stands alone because it's what i do right, all yes, day yes. but um a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists are very um, apprehensive to give the diagnosis because it's not in the book mm-hmm. um so most often the diagnoses that i see are, of course, a number one would be autism mm-hmm. um, because probably 98%, if not more, of kids with autism have sensory processing issues. Um, the next one I see would be ADHD, um, learning disabilities. Um, dyspraxia is a huge one. Those tend to go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We know that that not all children with sensory process di- disorder have a diagnosis. Right. Um, what... For, for a family or a child that doesn't have a diagnosis, how can the parent know that this is something they might be struggling with? What are some of the, the signs? Um, the biggest one I hear is we, we can't get through the day. You know? okay. We can't get dressed and get to school. When we get off the school bus, we're melting down. Um, bedtime takes three hours. That's a biggie. Mm-hmm. Um, just these little daily routines, they can't transition through them. And do you often see that, do you not see these intense signs um, more consistently in children that are school age, that are going to school? Or are are there some big red, red flags that you see with infants? Or is it harder to tease out in a very young baby who cries normally as a, as a way to communicate needs mm-hmm. and wants? Mm-hmm. I think it's harder to, it's definitely harder to tease it out in a baby Mm -hmm. um, because they can't tell you what they're crying about and they can't tell you what's what's going on. Or a child with a language delay. Well, and I often hear too, you know, um, 
he ate everything until he was two, and now he'll eat three foods. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. it, it often looks different and then goes in reverse. Yeah, you know? that's interesting because we just, our, our previous podcast was with a feeding therapist, a uh-huh. feeding specialist, and that was one of our questions we hear all the time. Mm-hmm. They'll eat everything, and then all of a sudden they eat nothing. Um, yeah. And the sensory component was one thing that she attributes to a combination of things that can cause those little food jags. Yeah, and, and this sensory thing can be such a pendulum. Like we, a lot of times I'll, I'll start seeing a kid and he can't tolerate any movement. He's fearful to take his feet off the ground when he's on the swing. And then all of a sudden there'll be the switch where we go to the other extreme where we can't get enough movement and we're constantly seeking it and we're constantly moving. Mm-hmm. And so the idea, idea behind treatment is you're rewiring the nervous system but sometimes it goes too much the other way that the ultimate goal is to find the happy medium mm-hmm. you know we right. might swing back and forth a couple times but right so you're trying to find kind of that proximal zone mm-hmm. where the child is getting what they need to function right with but, just enough input and not too much yes it's so a it can change. fine fine line mm-hmm. i'm sure I feel like um, parents or any people who don't live with a child with sensory processing disorder might not understand what it's like to go through that. And we talked about that a little bit. I know for us working in early intervention, um, I realized that we take things for granted that for other families might be a really big challenge. Simple things like haircuts, mm-hmm. wearing clothing, um, Things like Brushing that. Brushing teeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that was a challenge in my house for many years. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of illustrate for us, um, just from a from an empathetic standpoint for parents who are listening, who might not have a child themselves, but might have someone in their neighborhood or their child's school that's mm-hmm. going through this, what, what might another family be going through that some of us might take for granted? Well, I think often the response to sensory input can look like just bad behavior. It can yes. just straight up mm-hmm. look like bad behavior. So the thing I tell parents, and it's very hard to hear, is this is painful. Yeah. It, it hurts. Yeah. It, it, it When the hand dryer goes off in the bathroom and they are screaming bloody murder and they have their hands over their ear, it feels like a helicopter is landing on their head and there's nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They are not feeling their skin the way they should and it's extremely uncomfortable and that wrinkle in their sock that most of us feel for 30 seconds and our brain habituates to it and it's gone they feel it all day long so the second they come in the house they're ripping off their shoes and their socks because they're still feeling it it. yeah Mm -hmm. right right little things like that and and those things compound throughout the day they're cumulative so yeah it's why you know one day they might be able to get through the day and the next day there were just too many things and they kind of snap. Which is hard, I think, because Mm -hmm. if someone's around a child regularly as a friend or a family member and they think, well, they were fine the last time we saw them, Mm -hmm. they handled that trip to the grocery store or grandma's house just fine. Mm -hmm. When the next time it might be a completely different situation and what they might not be realizing is what that child experienced from a sensory perspective right before that visit or the day before Mm -hmm. might be impacting their reality when and it happens to all of us yeah like if you have a migraine and you're tired and you know the way you respond to things is going to be completely different than Mm -hmm. right how you would if you were everything was smooth sailing all day right in our house, my little guy with sensory uh, processing disorder, sensory issues, he, I had convinced myself that he was, and he still is a little bit, just a very strong-willed kid. Mm-hmm. You know, he just wouldn't cooperate with toothbrushing. It mm-hmm. had to be done. There was no choice about it. So we pushed and we pushed and we pushed. And finally, we realized that toothbrush just felt like nails across his teeth or, you mm-hmm. know, whatever. I mean, whatever mm-hmm. the issue was, like it, you know, but it took time that I felt like I needed to break his will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really, I was torturing him, you know, which mm-hmm. is heartbreaking as a parent when you realize that. But hopefully we're, you know, having this discussion today and bringing some light to this issue to help parents that are struggling and they can recognize it sooner. Mm-hmm. But I, I and I felt very judged as um, having a child that I couldn't control. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt I felt I felt that judgment and I powered through it because I had a wonderful support system and we figured it out in time. But 
my heart goes out to those families. And I think, you know, the bottom line mm-hmm. is empathy. You know, mm-hmm. don't judge a book by its cover. This is a life you lesson. You and, don't know what the child's going through, what the parent's right. going through. And oftentimes, mm-hmm. and you know, our little guy was young when we started these issues, three, two, three years old. He mm-hmm. he was verbal, but he still couldn't describe to us yeah. exactly what the issue was until much right. later. So, yeah. Well, and I think it's important to note, too, just from from being your friend and, and going through that with you. And we're both therapists. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I always joke, we parent our kids together and our husbands let us, but, um, we as therapists and moms would go through our therapy checklist of, okay, well, he's had this evaluation or you've tried this or the symptoms are this, maybe a behavior therapist, maybe Mm -hmm. a diet, maybe an Without saying too much, it it ended up being a combination of multiple things that work. But my point is, is that it's not something that you can immediately figure out as a Mm -hmm. parent and make better tomorrow. As much Mm -hmm. as you want to make it better tomorrow, um, sometimes it takes trial and error to see, to tease out exactly what is going on. And unfortunately, that takes patience. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. like Taryn said, you know, she brings a kid in, they're swinging to one side on the pendulum, and within a few visits, they're swinging the other direction. So, Mm -hmm. you know, within the child, even once you're getting the help you know the child needs, it still can change. So patience. I'm going to jump forward just for a minute, um, just because we're on this topic. But uh, we opened up the fact that we were doing this podcast with Taryn um, to our listeners and our followers on social media to see what their questions were. And while we're talking about behavior, um, we have one follower that that shared that um, her son was uh, had a language delay and obviously some sensory-seeking stuff going on, some sensory issues. And, and her thing was, how do you, how do you, are there tips for, for disciplining a child? Because as a parent, we know you need to meet their, their medical needs, their sensory needs, but at the same time, you want to shape that behavior into something that is positive in your home and in your community. So what do mm-hmm. you tell parents? I'm sure it's a common question. It is. How do I handle discipline? How do I handle and behavior? This, this little guy, I think, uh, was playing too rough with his siblings. That's one thing that they were struggling with. And mm-hmm. she was trying to figure out, you know, how, we know that it's a sensory behavior, but how do we deal with it in a way that is appropriate right. as far as discipline? And, you know, as long as I've been doing this, I still find that the biggest challenge for mm-hmm. myself to navigate and, you know, and, and of course for parents to navigate. So I... I always say that, you know, once we start treatment and we figure out what sensory activities work for a particular child and we put together what we call that sensory diet, so that list of individualized activities for that child, um, I say follow it religiously for two weeks um, so that, you know, we can see what happens when they get the sensory input at these specific interviews and uh, intervals, and we take this really proactive approach. So they're getting the sensory input, so they shouldn't be seeking it as much. Um, and then the parent will be able to tease out what's a behavior yes. versus what's a yes. sensory seeking and, need yeah. for the child. And and the challenge is that a lot of times parents hear this information, they're like, oh my gosh, I've been doing it all wrong. When that's uh, not really yeah. the case, right. it's just now we're a bit more aware. Right. So right. Um, well, kids still need boundaries. They still yes. need rules. And the yes. thing I see a lot of is it goes the other way. It's, oh, he needed proprioceptive input. I understand why he did that. Okay, well, it's still not okay to smash your sister to the ground. Right, right. There still you needs know, to be There still needs to be a firm line. Right. You know. Right. You no, we don't do that. We can do this. Well, and I right. think it's important to to point out that in a, a nervous system that is functioning fairly efficiently, people seek those things out on their own. Mm-hmm. You know, we seek yeah. out, while we're sitting here and I'm paying attention and making sure we stay on task, I'm I'm putting the, the uh, clip of a, sh- a Sharpie pen and mutilating it with mm-hmm. my fingers. Is it your Sharpie? It is my Sharpie. Oh, okay. I'm a fidgeter. <laughs> I was about to apologize the, to Taryn the for la- you. The last podcast I ruined Lacey's Sharpie. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. in order to focus, I have to fidget. Mm-hmm. And so, but I don't even notice I'm doing that until we start talking about it. So children and adults will seek out what they need regularly. Mm-hmm. For a kid like you're saying, that has challenges with a nervous system that is not automatically doing that, 
giving them the opportunity and presenting um, behaviorally appropriate, developmentally typical experiences them for them to seek out what they need, mm-hmm. hopefully replaces yeah. that need to seek out things that are inappropriate. Yeah, correct? or unsafe. Or unsafe. Yes. Yeah. Right. So a, a great example, I had a, a parent call the other day, and she said that their, his therapist and his psychiatrist say that during a session he he gets in his chair upside down for the entire time they're talking to him. And and she's like, that's why I'm calling you, because we don't, we don't get why. And, you know, he's seeking exactly what his nervous system needs. So getting upside down is a perfect combination of vestibular and proprioceptive input. Mm-hmm. You've got your head inverted, so that's really revving the nervous system it's stimulating it's organizing but then you've combined it with that really calming grounding input of of the compression to the spine that proprioceptive Mm -hmm. input so you're getting a double dose of of sensory input i have a kid that's upside down Mm -hmm. all the time Mm -hmm. and in fact when we were putting out a few teasers about this podcast and we're giving examples of our own children with sensory seeking behavior Mm -hmm. I, i quickly five minutes found like eight pictures of her upside down in different settings, Uh in a tree, in a wheelbarrow race, in the middle of the kitchen, because Mm -hmm. she will come home from school, and as I say, how was school today, she'll immediately start doing handstands while she's Mm -hmm. talking to me in the middle of the kitchen. Right. And sometimes it's in the grocery store. I'm like, gross, the floor is disgusting, (laughs) stop it. Uh But she always seeks out that upside down Mm -hmm. position. and I, I think I do. I think she needs it. And yeah. I'm curious. She was a C-section baby. Mm-hmm. Do you see babies that were born in C-sections have different? There's not a lot of research to back it up, but it makes complete sense to me. I feel that like I, she didn't get I, squeezed properly. <laughs> yes, like that compression down the birth canal is there for a reason. Mm-hmm. And getting wow. in that, yeah, and yeah. I always wonder about kids that are breached too, because they yeah. don't get in that Same inverted thing. position. Inverted position, you know. So. Yeah. It would make sense that they would crave it. Later well, she craves on. a lot of cuddling too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know the the bottom line I think is we oftentimes someone who's not aware of sensory challenges and what it could look like in a child they see the kid standing on their head in the chair in the classroom or in the doctor's office and they're mm-hmm. like. Oh, they're yeah. misbehaving. They're not paying attention. They're being right. ornery. Yeah. But actually, that child is seeking out that upside-down position so they can pay attention and right. participate. Right. Yes. So and we have to look at it with different, which, different eyes. Which different kind of eyes. brings us to a conver- conversation, which is, it is, I'll, I'll just disclaim this. It's a bit of a, a soapbox for Lacey and I and something that we're passionate about. But I just, we wanted to touch on sensory processing disorder, sensory needs, and school. Um you know, we hear all the time, we, we have friends that are teachers, we obviously have children in school, um, we've done many lectures and teacher trainings that touch on this a little bit for um, teachers at all, all levels, K through 12. Um, and, you know, with increased pressure for testing and high academic standards, we know children, all children, but especially little children, are sitting for longer periods of time. Um, and if, you, if you're a parent or anyone, really, and you've been on social media, you've seen adaptations, pictures, and examples of a classroom chair or, you know, fidgets on the desk, things that, that people have shared for ideas. I'm just curious how you feel about this because in one, from one side, it's like, well, they don't get to move a lot. The reality, it is what it is. So this is a way to get them input through the day. Mm-hmm. But then I've seen other therapy pages and blogs when I've heard comments like, this is ridiculous. They just need to let them go outside. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm just curious as a sensory certified OT, how you feel about this? What do we know about what our kids need to feed their nervous systems through the day to be successful academically? What do you suggest? Um. Well, if I if I was in charge, yes, yes, um, let's pretend. Let's pretend you're in charge. We would we would triple the recess. Yeah, I feel Amen. like yeah, I feel like a hundred years ago, you know, they there was they, a lot more. I can there was tell you so there was much more, more play. Play is their job. Yes, right. Yeah. Yep. That that is their job, and and they're not getting any of it. So, you know, we're, we're just looking to find these little modifications where we can plug in everywhere to kind of compensate for it. And it, but nothing really replaces it. Nothing replaces pure recess. And, right. you know, I'm thinking about 
the little girl you're mentioning that was, you know, getting upside down, you know, it used to be that you'd climb a tree and, you know, you'd mm-hmm. be hanging from your legs and mm-hmm. you'd have to problem solve how to get down and you don't see any kids climbing trees You're not allowed anymore. to climb trees. You'll yes. get hurt. Yes. <laughs> I and, mean, I worked yeah. on a playground p- project where we were going to bring in some big boulders just for the kids to climb on or even just sit and read. Mm-hmm. And we weren't allowed to bring a rock on a playground. Right. Safety. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a big liability issue here. Yeah. If you go to other countries, countries, you go to Brazil, you go to France, and, you know, they've got these big bungee systems on their playgrounds and... Yeah, my my niece and nephew live in Taiwan, and Mm -hmm. they're visiting right now. Um, And I was asking my niece about her school day and recess. She has a morning recess period, and then she has a midday recess, and she has an afternoon recess. And when I added up the minutes, it was over an hour through Mm -hmm. the day that Mm -hmm. that she's moving, but in three separate sessions Mm -hmm. um, as an older elementary student, which Mm -hmm. I think is incredible. I mean, yeah. it's it's really incredible. And, you know, one of the topics that we touch on when we do our lecture about the brain and how the brain works well in the classroom, we talk about vestibular system. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, if you look at that, that triangle of where things are built, all those mm-hmm. academic things, right, come yeah. from the vestibular system. So one thing I kind of just makes me so sad is not just the amount of recess, but what's happening at recess. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, you're not allowed to have vestibular types of playground equipment on most playgrounds anymore. Mm-hmm. Things like a merry-go-round. Right. A and, teeter-totter. Mm-hmm. Well, and things that would build endurance, too. So if you're getting these bursts of 20 minutes here and 10 minutes here... You know, you're not running for you're not exhausted. an extended you're period, not... and that core strength can't build up. And, mm-hmm. you know, almost every child that walks through the doors in my clinic has really weak core strength. Mm-hmm. And, and that just and so, is a testament to the type of play they're engaging in, which is very yes. little physical play, right? I mean, well, and, and, and lack of tummy time. <laughs> yes, yes. And, soapbox on top of soapbox. <laughs> Lack of tummy time as infants because they're in a lot of containers, seats, swings, Mm -hmm. bouncers. So we're not engaging that. And then I find what happens is, you know, if you have these sensory issues on top of it, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like when you're driving a car and you get tired. If you start to slump and check out, then you're going to fall asleep at the wheel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And and the same thing. If you start to slump and check out in the classroom, you're not hearing anything the teacher is saying. But... If you sit up straight and you start shaking your head and moving your body around, you're, you're getting more, more alert. alert. You're turning on your brain. You're turning on your vestibular system. And so, you know, that's what a lot of those kids that are moving constantly in class, they're just trying to stay engaged where it looks like they're doing yeah, anything yeah. about that. My mom, my mom was a teacher for 45 years, and she would always complain to me that her middle school students would pick the formica off their desk. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, give them some Play-Doh and they'll stop. Right. Like, they're, mm-hmm. they're just trying to find something to feed their nervous system so that they can pay attention to you. They're trying to pay attention to you. Mm-hmm. Hand them some clay. Right. You know. You got to replace it with something. With something purposeful. Mm-hmm. So I guess if, if we magically were lucky enough to have administrators or policymakers listening to us and they mm-hmm. wanted to do the right thing, <laughs> recess would be one longer period, multiple longish periods. Yes, that's what I would say. Multiple longish periods mm-hmm. throughout the day. Yeah, definitely. And I, I just think more learning should be going on mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. playground too. Mm-hmm. More mm-hmm. learning that involves moving. I always laugh because... Um, when I go to occupational therapy type conferences and courses, it's the only kind of course that you go to where all all OTs know what kind of sensory system they have. So they know if <laughs> yeah. they have a real low arousal kind of thing or if they're somebody that revs really high. So they'll like place themselves in in the room according to their needs their needs they're very in tune yes and they'll bring their own therapy ball to the you know (laughs) to sit on you know or they'll they know they got to stand in the back to stay alert you know Mm -hmm. that's interesting so I always think about that when I think about these poor teachers that are trying to accommodate 
so many needs. In one classroom. And then you add on top of that medications, Mm -hmm. diagnoses, emotional issues. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. But everything that we've read um, and a lot of studies that we've read lead to the conclusion of allowing a variety of sensory experiences within your classroom and Mm -hmm. the option for kids to make choices based on their needs. Mm -hmm. And, And limit the technology. Yes. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> no, yes. cuz yeah. how it's, does that play a role? How, what's it's just so sedentary? Yes. Right. And yeah. it, and and so many of the kids I see that are, you know, dancing either near the autism spectrum or are on it, um they they become obsessed with it. It's all they want to do. It's the only thing that's gratifying. Mm-hmm. And so it be- makes it so much. And it's that's a what those then. that's what those video games are designed to do. Mm-hmm. They're they're designed to plug into that pleasure center of your brain. Yeah. Pleasure center, sorry. And and create they can't addiction. get pleasure anywhere else. So mm-hmm. when we're, I'm trying to engage them in an obstacle course in a ball pit, it's it's not engaging. And well, that should be so fun. And not to mention that some basic I remember I went to, um, at the elementary school, I went to, for teacher appreciation week, parents stepped in during recess so teachers could go to lunch. Mm-hmm. And at field day at the school, you know, we would try to lead games where we'd say, okay, you know, this game is kind of like Duck, Duck, Goose, or mm-hmm. we're going to do this as a relay race, but here's the rules. And they literally, eight out of 10 of them, did not know what Duck, Duck, Goose was, did mm-hmm. not know what a relay race was. They did mm-hmm. not know how to play yep. simple, physical, social games. Mm-hmm. Literally didn't know how. And so a lot of times when we were working the recess um, period, they would kept coming to us for, I have a headache, I need a drink. They kept trying to go back into the building because they didn't know what to do outside. Mm-hmm. And that's sad. Yeah. I mean, oh, you know, it's that's so yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. I see that. I, I, my mom mm-hmm. tells me that back in the 1950s, there were playground coordinators like the 50s oh, wow. and 60s, which she worked in high school as like a playground supervisor in the summer. So her job was to be at the public playground and mm-hmm. like facilitate group games outside. We need that again. Yes. We need I that know. Yes. position reinstated within our community. <laughs> to literally teach them how to play simple games. Mm-hmm. And just to go back to um, what, what Taryn was saying about when kids are engaged in technology so often and that becomes their pleasure mm-hmm. in life, like the only thing they really get joy from, that mm-hmm. also interferes with communication. I see a lot yeah. of little guys, and I'll say to the parents, see how happy he is when he's playing that app on your phone or that game on his iPad. I said, mm. I want him to experience that joy when he interacts with us. You know, we mm-hmm. have to limit that screen so, and pull them away from it so that they can start socially interacting to eventually communicate with us. But yes. yeah, you know, again, that's a whole different podcast about technology, but I think when when there's too much time on the screen, that addiction pleasure center is fed in their brain. It's impacting their ability to communicate and be social within their world. And it's obviously impacting their physical activity within their day, which then negatively impacts their sensory system sometimes. So. Well, and, you know, I, I'm getting more and more calls for adolescents mm. with sensory issues. Um, I feel like there's a giant hole where... Somehow, you know, there were sensory issues when they were children. They weren't really addressed. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, with that lack of connection comes the anxiety. Mm. And with that social, that heightened response to sensory input comes anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so that starts to look like the depression and these anxiety disorders later on. Right. But there's not really many people addressing that sensory piece. Right, it's a missing piece of the whole picture that we need to remember Mm -hmm. to include when we're looking at what's going on. Yeah, from very Mm -hmm. young to up through adolescence, it sounds. So So let's go back to another question um, from a listener. Another listener has a child that is extreme on both sides of the sensory spectrum, craves and seeks out vestibular input, is spinning a lot, likes to be upside down, swinging, but then is also an avoiding um, avoiding loud noises, crowds of people, haircuts, transitions within his environment. This parent asked us, is there an in-between we're missing? Is there a way to make all the things a little bit less 
is it really all or nothing? Because quite honestly, it's exhausting, which I think is common. Of course common. it's exhausting, yeah. 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 Um, first of all, I love this question because the in, I, lo- I love the word, the phrase, the in-between. The in-between yeah. is mm-hmm. definitely missing here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's so rare that I see a kid that is totally avo- an avoider or totally a seeker. It's usually all over the map. And the whole point behind what we do during treatment is to rewire these systems so that they all meet at that in-between, so that you find the happy medium. Um, That's what a regulated kid looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, Sensory processing disorder means that you're hopping between extremes. So um, I think that's just... That sounds like a child who's... Who would benefit from an evaluation. Well, absolutely. And um, underneath that sensory processing umbrella, you know, you have what they call all these little clusters of diagnoses, but they tend to fall in the category of a modulation disorder or a discrimination disorder. And it sounds like this kid almost definitely has what we call modulation issue, where it's a how much question. How much sensory input can you can you tolerate? How much movement can you tolerate before you get overstimulated? How much sound can you tolerate? Mm-hmm. Whereas that discrimination um, disorder looks more like a how question or a, you know, where's that sound coming from? Or where did I just touch you? Or what letter did I just form on your back? It's, it's more of those kinds of questions. So mm-hmm. I see a lot of kids that fall in this modulation category where, you know, they're fine, but as soon as they start moving and jumping around the clinic and getting on the swings, we soar to one end of hyperactivity, yeah. and then we can't get it back to that, that happy medium. So what we usually do is combine that with what we call the universal modulator, and that's that proprioceptive the deep input. Pressure. So we're doing resistance, we're doing heavy weight, we're doing weight-bearing, that kind of thing. It's like the regulator. Yes. <laughs> Another listener has a a little one um, that she says is about to be diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, And we know that children with with autism spectrum disorder often do have sensory processing disorder. This child in particular is is taking her pants off um, Mm -hmm. consistently, constantly, all day long. This mm-hmm. parent was curious to know if there were any tips or tricks that you could pass along to help her keep her child's pants on, which I don't think is an uncommon question. I hear, I mean, I don't have the mm-hmm. an answer to it, but I hear it a lot from parents. Yeah. I, I get a lot of calls. I got a call last week that the mother didn't know if she would be able to make the appointment because she didn't know if it would be a day that her child decided that she would wear clothing. Um, so... Um, Again, it can depend on what day and how they're feeling that day. But I, I've had other kids tell me later on that, you know, it just took trying on a million pairs of pants to figure out what worked. Um, a lot of kids are really sensitive around the waistline, and um, that can be a sign of a, a primitive reflex that hasn't integrated. Uh, there's a lot of kids that just need that sensory diet in place. So some of the things we'll use for that, we use what we call uh, the Will Barger brushing protocol, which is um, just using a simple surgical brush to brush the skin, and you combine that with um, joint compressions. Um, a lot of times I recommend that parents warm the, the pants up in the dryer so mm, they're not cold. Um, I recommend letting them choose whatever they're going to wear. So giving them like 10 different options. And that way, a lot of times with sensory issues, there has to be choice involved because these kids learn to control their environment um, so that they don't have to be exposed to any type of uncomfortable sensory input. Mm -hmm. So they become very territorial about, routine. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. If, if anything happens outside the routine, that can trigger a meltdown. I know mm-hmm. like Lacey, you were kind of saying that control was an issue in your house. So mm-hmm. one of the things I always recommend is give them the control where you can, That's wherever cool. you can give a choice, give a choice. But you know, there still needs to be a rule that we, we have to get dressed. You have to wear pants. Yeah. But or we trying. have to wear a dress or we're we dressed. have to right. wear something. We have to put clothes on. 
But you say, you know, they're trying to control their environment so that they can tolerate and get through their day, correct? Right. I mean, you know, yeah. if they're yes. sticking to one pair of pants, it's because that's the one pair of pants that they can stand to put on and keep on right. to mm-hmm. function through their day. So yes. there is a reason behind it. It's not just the stubborn, strong-willed yes. kid, you know? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, yeah. the sooner, you know, the parent can realize that, then the, the easier it is on everyone. Right. I've seen a, a lot of things about tagless, um, seamless, Mm-hmm. Clothing, socks, underwear—is that just a marketing thing? Is that really worth it? Um, oh, it, it's absolutely worth it. Um, are there certain ones you recommend or that you like? It's it's so different for every kid. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes just turning the socks inside out works for some kids because mm-hmm. they can't feel the seam That's anymore. A good idea. Uh, but I just tell parents take them with you, try on as many things as you can, and you know, hopefully they can tell you. That something, something works. Right. And I knew one little guy that did not want to wear a coat. What would that, how could, and it was so, like middle of winter, snow falling on the ground, and the mom's like, you know, I look like a terrible parent. Again, mm-hmm. I feel the judgment because my kid's not wearing a coat in the snow. But what, what could that be about? How could that be resolved? Again, that's just a, a sensory thing. It, you know, they don't feel, a lot of kids don't feel cold mm-hmm. the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these kids overheat easily. Uh, I had one kid years ago that would try to put on eight pairs of pants. And again, just a huge signal yeah, that he's not feeling his body, really not feeling his body. So with the coat, it's kind of the opposite. You know, I don't, I don't want all this stuff on me. It feels like too much. Yeah. Maybe too constricting or yeah. And I usually say if it's, if it's not that cold outside, don't worry about it. Yeah. yeah, some things aren't worth the battle. battle. Yeah. yeah, pick your battles. Right, right. You you touched for a minute on um, that a, a reflex might be integrated, not be integrated um, in a child that doesn't like things around their belly. And mm-hmm. I think this is a really interesting area of mm-hmm. therapy. It's definitely one that I, that I would like to learn more about. Can you just explain to, to the listeners... Um, about infantile reflexes and, and more mature reflexes and kind of that process, what what happens there, and if it doesn't happen, how we might know that reflexes are at play? Well, well there, are, there are a lot of primitive reflexes, but the idea behind them is that infants have them for, for certain developmental reasons, and um, by the age of like six months, most of them should integrate. You shouldn't see them anymore. And if they don't, then it, it can start to affect development. Develop. So uh, a perfect example is, um, you know, for one of the reflexes, if you turn a child's head and their whole body turns with it, um, that's a sign that, that a specific reflex hasn't, hasn't integrated. So the way that can impact them later, you can imagine that if you need to turn your whole body every time you look at something, it's, it's not really a real efficient way to move around or follow a teacher back and forth across the classroom. Um, One of the big ones I I look for and in my clinic is I'll have kids belly crawl and, um, and by belly crawl, I mean with their belly on the floor and getting that reciprocal movement of both sides of the body. And I'll see, I'll see them not engage their legs at all. I'll see them only engage the right side. Um, and again, and that's just another developmental cue that I think that's you know. more. I think that, although I, you know, I'm not seeing specific research to this fact. I mm-hmm. think that that's happening more than we realize, or more than oh, yes. more than is documented. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, and and when you do that belly crawl, you're supposed to get a very good toe dig to kind of launch mm-hmm. yourself forward. And I always look for that because a lot of these kids are tripping all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and they never really developed that. Mm-hmm. So they're not picking their feet up off the ground or, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see it when I walk through a school and, and I'm peeking in at gym class. And yeah. some of the positions in all fours, mm-hmm. you know, with some of the exercises, you can tell that some of those nervous systems just never fully made that transition mm-hmm. to a, a bigger kid's nervous system. And, and it can impact a lot of things if you're not engaging both sides of your body in a reciprocal fashion, then both sides of the brain aren't communicating effectively. And, 
you need both sides of the brain to read. You need both sides of the brain to ride a bike. You know, it starts to impact all these other yeah. things. It's a two-way street. We always mm-hmm. think about brain to body, but we forget that it's body to brain as well. Mm-hmm. So if the body isn't doing what it should be doing, then the brain doesn't get the proper messages. So mm-hmm. if this might be an issue, generally, I know this is a very specific topic, but parents should look for lack of coordination, trouble with bilateral use of the body... Yes. What so, other kind of things are red flags that a that a reflex um, assessment might be warranted? So uh, falling, when, yeah, falling a lot, and I'll look at things just like simple jumping jacks, you know. Um, but I ask a lot of questions on my assessment about that coordination piece, mm-hmm. like swimming. Are, are we still riding a bike with training wheels, and we're eight years old? Mm-hmm. Um, Using scissors, can we? Can Those we? Those are great questions. You know, can we hold the page with one hand and steer with the other? You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and if if those reflexes haven't integrated, it's not it's not all doom and gloom, right? There's no. ways to. There's way to help them integrate, and you know, part of it's that sensory integration approach. Um, to tune up the nervous system in a way. Yes. That's good. I just had another question about, since this last question was about autism, and we know the numbers are rising. Um, I'm just curious as an OT, you know, you hear people say there, there's, there's, it's happening more and more, and then you hear other people say it's just being diagnosed more, and then you hear other people say it's being misdiagnosed. Everybody's been throwing into this autism umbrella if they don't know what's going on. Um what are your thoughts for parents that are, their kids maybe have behaviors that are on the spectrum to, to make sure that they get to the right place for the right diagnosis and the right help? Um, first of all, I, 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 I'm, this is probably my biggest soapbox. I, <laughs> Preach on. Preach on, sister. Preach, sister. This yep. is absolutely not just being diagnosed more. It is a full-fledged epidemic. And if something's not figured out about it, it's going to impact, you know, it's going to be one in 10 kids in no time. Mm. And so this, this is, in my humble opinion, not so humble opinion, it's, it's not being diagnosed more. And, you know, people were still saying that 20 years ago when I just got into this field. And now we've gone from one in 500 kids to one in you know, what is, what are we at? 36 now, yeah, I think. So, 36. and, and those, that data is probably four years old. So, right, yeah. um, I, I, I think you really need to do all the research you can. Um, good places like, to look, where should they go? Um, if this is, if there's a parent out there listening that is just trying to figure it out and all they have so far is a pediatrician. Uh, genetically, I, I, I think they should be testing every woman that's pregnant for that, um, MTHFR gene, um, because we know that that doesn't, uh, that gene means you don't get rid of toxins as easily. Um, we don't, we don't know what's causing this yet. We don't know if it's environmental. It's most likely environmental. Um, but they're getting closer. They're getting closer. And the and, identification of that gene was very important, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, not everybody that's on the spectrum has that gene. So I, I'm really big on nutrition mm-hmm. and knowing what you're putting in your body. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a book that I recommend to a lot of parents called uh, What's Eating Your Child. It's by Kelly Dorfman. And uh, she breaks it down by a case study. And uh, she... Just kinds of talks. She talks. She's one of the first people that linked the sensory issues with the nutritional aspect, mm-hmm. and she talks about different kinds of scenarios. Like if your child's engaging in this behavior, you're seeing these kind of things. Um, try this, mm-hmm. and it's just a great place to start. So I always we hear that first. all the time. One mm-hmm. of our favorite um, dietitians has said to us, um, anytime a parent questions me about food, I say, you don't believe me that that what your kid's eating affects their brain, come mm-hmm. have a beer with me. Yeah. <laughs> it absolutely does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is, is yes. so true. If there's, if, mm-hmm. you know, alcohol can, ingested can affect your brain, so can yeah. 
dyes, preservatives, toxins. And, you know, I had a doctor tell me um, years ago she had she had a uh, lady come in who was on the autism spectrum who she'd been treating for years who had a extreme gluten sensitivity. She went to a, a cocktail party, and she asked if the drink had gluten in it, and they said no. And so she had one, and she took like three sips, and she said a panda walked in and sat down across from her. Oh. So her response to it was so strong that it made her hallucinate. Wow. That's crazy. So, you know... I just think about some of these kids with severe autism and how how their diet could mm-hmm. be influencing them, and they can't tell us. You know? mm-hmm. Right. And I think, too, a lot of kids that are identified as on the spectrum um, or suspected to be on the spectrum, they have some difficulty with their diet because they get so stuck in a routine of eating the same thing over and over and over, which then is yes. just feeding that yes. that possible monster that, right. you know, is putting mm-hmm. maybe too much of a toxin into them, which is then just exacerbating yes. their symptoms or their behaviors or whatever it is, sensory issues, whatever it is. So mm-hmm. it's, um, it's a tough issue, but it's, yeah. a, it's a valid, legit concern that certainly families need to look at. And yeah, obviously the earlier, the better. Absolutely. Um, in terms of, I know mm-hmm. that um, I've seen before the M chat online as a general quiz that if parents take it, mm-hmm. can give them some information whether they should seek out special help or not. As an OT, I don't, I honestly don't know very much about the M chat except for that it exists and it's free and it's online. Mm-hmm. Is it something that you recommend as an OT? Is it helpful? Is it not specific enough? Um, it's not something I recommend a lot, but. You know, I do have parents that that do do that and find it helpful. So I'll say, like, if you're really questioning, you know, there's things you can you can do online and kind of get a better picture or or to a number. Some people want a number to you know mm-hmm. to put to things. So, um, yeah, and I the, the thing about my practice is you don't have to have a diagnosis. So my thing is always, um, if if you think that something's going on. It's, yeah, it's just worth it to check it out. Absolutely. Don't, yeah. don't be afraid of seeking out help to right. get answers to You don't need a validation questions. of a diagnosis yeah. to get treatment. No. Mm-hmm. no. And let's talk about your practice a little bit. So um, you are sen- you're certified in sensory, sensory training. Yeah, that's a hard it's, spot because there's not an official certification in sensory integration. The closest you can get... Um, the closest you, used, closest you used to be able to get is to get certified in the sensory integration and praxis test. And right. those that course and that test were designed by kind of the godmother of sensory integration and the people who trained under her. Okay. So um, that course in itself can no longer be taken in recent years. It's oh, kind really? of dissipated. The, the people that um, carried the assessment and offered the course and the people that taught the course at USC... Um, Kind I didn't of, know that. Um, mm. Fell dif- different ways. So um, now USC is de- has designed is designing their own thing. Okay. Um, but you know what I say to people is you want to find an OT that you know they don't need to have that necessarily, but that does show that they've taken a lot of continuing ed in this specific right. little corner. Because you know, so. it's a detailed little corner. I yes. mean, it, mm-hmm. it really is detailed. Mm-hmm. And complex. It, it yeah. is. So if, if someone, um, we'll, we'll give our listeners, if they're local, the information for you. But if they're not local and they're, and they're looking for someone with this level of training, is mm-hmm. there a, a database anywhere? Is there a website that can point parents in the direction to find an OT with this specialization? Um, the Star Institute in Denver I think is always a good place to start because that's kind of the premier sensory Mm -hmm. facility in the country. So um, I I would start there. And a lot, that's how a lot of people find find me. Um, You know, I have people call from, I have people call from even out of state just looking for, you know, and, and we don't really require a doctor's referral or um, of course the diagnosis. So, you, know, you can just come and get an assessment and get some answers. Yeah, you know, wonderful. and we, you yeah. can do it over the phone. We can do, you know, we'll do whatever we can. 
Because yep. there's so many families that need this service. Mm-hmm. There's really, really so many, and probably so many that don't even realize they need the service. Well, and I found that a lot of the people that walk through our door, those kids are kids that aren't going to qualify for services under an IEP in the school system. They're not. Yes. They're not suffering necessarily that much academically but they're suffering. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a struggle every single day, but it's not enough of a struggle to get some services. And it can be, there can be so much red tape involved to get services in certain aspects. So, and you have that unique perspective because you've worked in the school system, you Mm -hmm. worked in a private school and that's kind of what led you to open your own practice. Mm -hmm. Correct. Right. Yes. So, so Taryn, you know, you can speak to both sides of the table there, which is really important to Is serve that what motivated you to start your own practice? Um, or what? why did you decide to do it? I just had a, a fascination with the sensory perspective. And um, I, I worked in the schools, and I, I was lucky enough that the person I worked for in the schools was really wanted to start a sensory practice. So um, he and I opened one together. And, um, that's what I did for many years. And then I kind of went off on my own and mm-hmm. opened this one. And, um, yeah, it's just, do you have yeah. a, a website you can share or social media site that if they're, if our listeners are looking for you, she is located in Winchester, Virginia, in case you're listening, um, for close to where we are. How can they get a hold of you if they're um, interested? Our website is skyclimbcenter.com. The name of our practice is Skyclimb Sensory Development Center. Mm-hmm. Um, you and can we'll find us on that. Facebook. Yeah, we'll link yeah. that when we when we um, post the podcast so that you can easily find it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they don't need a doctor's referral. Mm-mm. They just need to call you. Not in the state of Virginia. Cool. Excellent. So we one thing that we do is we we try to educate the public um, as as therapists who have worked in the special ed community for a long time. It's important for us to let people know what happens um, in the houses that that we see, mm-hmm. um, so that our communities can be more responsive, more empathetic, um, more supportive of families dealing with any challenge. But in terms of sensory processing disorder. Um, how can we do a better job? Are there resources that you suggest? Are there things that parents can do to support friends and neighbors? I, I always say that the best way to support your friends is is your time. Mm-hmm. Because That's so true many, anything, right? yeah, so many of the parents I see just need a break. Mm-hmm. You know, they just need a few hours of, you know. Alone just, time. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, and most of them find it really hard to find a babysitter or somebody that understands their child that can cope with the behaviors the way they do so they never get a break. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm seeing a trend where a lot of these bigger companies are doing the sensory-friendly things now, yes. the sensory-friendly viewings of the of movies mm-hmm. that Chuck E. Cheese is doing it now. So, yes. um I think it's going in the right direction where they're offering smaller groups, less sound, less noise, less mm-hmm. softer lighting. Yeah, this, that's where mm-hmm. I, that's what I was looking for. Yeah. <laughs> I got you, girl. We all could use some softer lighting. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. And I think it's important too to educate our kids mm-hmm. so that they're aware of their peers. Yes. And the challenges that their peers might be facing and ways that they can be good friends to their classmates and their friends. Absolutely. When my son was, you know, before we got diagnosed, when he was going through his crazy sensory seeking behaviors, he was one that had vestibular and proprioceptive sensory issues. But my daughter at the time was maybe nine years old and she described him. She drew this picture of him one day, totally unprovoked, prompted for me, but she drew a picture of him and, and wrote on the paper, I love my brother, but his movement is crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You saved that. I saved it for sure. But uh-huh. you know, in her little innocent mind, all she, you know, he every time that she tried to play with him, he was bumping into her. He was hugging her too tight. He was mm-hmm. on his head upside down. He was running yeah. away from her because he was all hyped up and overstimulated. You know, so um, talking to our kids about it, and since you know, I think mm-hmm. that that was a very eye opening moment for me as as both of their, you know, as their mother to to talk to her about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and how we can help him, and this is why we're doing this to help him 
But, you know, kids, we underestimate um, the, the, a child's ability to really understand and empathize. And if we just have conversations with mm-hmm. kids about yeah. so-and-so in your classroom or so-and-so in your play group does this because it's what his body tells him he needs. So this right. is how you can play and interact mm-hmm. with him mm-hmm. to help him or, you know, to include him. And um, I just think that's really important is to have a conversation with your kids. Yeah. Well, and even giving even giving them a, a language for their own self, right, even absolutely. to relate, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. even if they're not so far that it's interfering with their day. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'll often say to my, my daughter will come home from school and notoriously sit on the kitchen chair and rock back on the back two legs, uh-huh. um, back and forth, back and forth while she's doing her homework. And I'm like, go get a ball. You need to sell yeah. a ball. <laughs> this is what happens when your parents are both therapists. Uh-huh. But um, And I'll say to her, you know, you've been sitting too long all day. Your body's seeking out movement, but you're going to flip that chair. Right. And you're going to ruin my floors, too. Right. I'm going to be angry. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and your head. So, But to give them a sense for, oh... That's what my body's doing. So that kid in my class whose mm-hmm. body doesn't automatically seek that out might need something else or might behave in a certain way, not because they're trying to misbehave, but because their body right. can't seek that out. Well, and I, when I worked in the schools, I found it so helpful. If I, need, if I had a kid that needed like a tea stool to sit on or mm-hmm. a wiggle cushion, you know, I, I found it so helpful to just take a bunch in mm-hmm. so all the kids yeah. could feel like, what it felt like mm-hmm. and, and explain right. why that was needed and that's the big phrase I use a lot it's not about what's fair here it's about what's needed yes. you know if Jimmy's in a wheelchair everybody doesn't get a wheelchair because everybody mm-hmm. doesn't need a wheelchair or if mm-hmm. someone needs glasses not everyone needs yeah. glasses yeah yeah right um but that's a good way to explain it that is and, that's a great tip for teachers and kids too. understand fair and yeah, you know absolutely they do yeah so you know I find that that that's kind of resonates sometimes. Yeah. Absolutely. Is there anything that we haven't discussed that you wish you have a microphone now right in front of you? Oh, <laughs> Is there anything <laughs> that you that you feel like parents should know, therapists should know, community should know? I mean, we've talked about a lot of things, so it might not be, but uh-huh. but if you had an open mic, because you do, <laughs> yeah. Besides rapping, which you might want to do, what else do you want to say? Oh, you don't want that. Um, <laughs> I I just always say if I can get a kid before the age of three, definitely before mm-hmm. age of five, oh, that's we, we can make big things happen, you know, a lot of the time. Right. That's really If your kid know. walks in my office at 16, we can make things happen, but it's going to be a much longer process. Ro- road and process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, and we, we have to address it in a completely different way. Right. So... You know, the earlier I can see kids, the biggest the biggest difference That's we can good. make. And important for pediatricians um, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. but and the other big thing is sensory integration, sensory processing issues aren't an excuse no. to act like a jerk. <laughs> yeah, so put that on the t-shirt, friends. You heard it here. So you know, I have a lot of parents that get so sympathetic to their child and empathetic to their child's issues that they stop. Disciplining. Disciplining them. Setting boundaries. And that's a recipe for disaster. Like, you still have to enforce the rules. Um, Sure. There still has to be a line. There has to be boundaries, you know. And um, sometimes I feel bad educating parents on all these issues and and waking them up to it and then seeing that now it's an excuse for every Mm -hmm. not-so-great behavior. So, and and that's a hard, it's a hard line. Sure. um, because disciplining so individual and parenting mm-hmm. choices are so personal. Right. So you can yeah. give them the information, but really at the end of the day, it's theirs to do what they want with. Yeah. And, you know, the thing I think makes me a little bit different as a therapist is I'm I'm not afraid to push. Mm-hmm. And, and... I like that. You know, I, <laughs> I feel like some kids need pushed over, over the hump a, a lot of the time. Right, because um, they might not are, be getting that at home. You know, right. if it's a parent that's excusing mm-hmm. every misbehavior and, you mm-hmm. know, more kind of overly Well, sensitive. and it's easier to push sometimes if you're not the parent. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's Especially for, for mothers. It's, you know, yeah. they get the brunt of 
that, that's who the child is usually most comfortable with. They mm-hmm. get the brunt of all the behavior. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot of times easier for me to push than it would be for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why that's you're right. here and why we're glad you're here. That's why you're an awesome therapist, oh, Taryn. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. You can keep Well, thank you, Taryn, for talking with us and for teaching us and for teaching our listeners and just for being a really important, um, really important voice for our community. Um, we learned so much talking to you. Thank you for you. having me. It was great. This was fun. So we will link, um, with this podcast, we will link any resource um, website that, that Taryn mentioned so that you can have all the resources shared here. Um, and be sure to comment if you liked it, review it. Um, remember that we are available at milestonesandmiracles.com. We have a plethora of resources for you. We have our product, 123 Just Play With Me, that makes an excellent um, gift for um, new parents and also a resource for therapists to use in a variety of ways. We have some examples outlined on our resource or on our website. We have um, our MedBridge education courses listed on our website, and we offer a discount always for our listeners. So if you're looking, if your therapist looking for continuing education, um, stop by and check us out. We also have um, a ton of free resources on our blog and other things, downloads on our page. So be sure to check us out, follow us on social media, and stay tuned because we have a lot more people in our village that we're excited to share with you um, and are really enjoying sharing this podcast with you. Bye.